Um, now at this time, I'm going to read today's scripture, which is from Ephesians 4. Um, if you're able, please stand with me as we read. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Sarah, for reading God's word to us. And welcome once again to all of you who've gathered here today on this rather dark and gloomy Sunday afternoon to worship the Lord. And although it is kind of cold and it's wet and it's gloomy out there, I must confess that as we just a few moments ago, we were singing together with one voice, we will praise your name forever, we're singing. Do you remember that just a few moments ago? Wasn't that awesome to be able to sing together? We will praise your name forever. And as we sang that song, and I heard all of your voices around me and the voices up here leading us, it, it filled me with a sense of eager expectation for the day when we will all be, as God's people around the world and throughout history, we will be praising Christ's name forever. And also filled me with a longing that that would be true for each of us. May the Lord make it so that each of us in this building today would not be found ourselves on the outside of that worship, on the outside of that reality. May it be that all of us would be there and we would not reject the invitation of God to worship Jesus now. He says, come let us adore him. Come adore him. Would we all accept that invitation to adore him now so that we will find ourselves in the final day praising his name forever and receiving his love and his acceptance forever. May it be, may it be for each of us here today. Over the past two months, we've been looking at our church covenant. It's this set of commitments that we as a church have made. I've got mine here somewhere. It's in my Bible. We, we, it's a set of commitments that we have made to each other as members of New Hope Fellowship. It summarizes how we want to live together as a church, our covenant does. And um, so each Sunday for the past two months, it's been an opportunity for us to look at this covenant together and be reminded of the commitments that we've made as members of this local church. But more than that, it's also been a chance for each of us to look at that covenant and to ask ourselves, am I really seeking to live in the way that I said I would live when I joined this community? It serves that purpose too. It's a chance for us to go back and say, are we, am I 
committed to what I said I was committed to when I joined this community of faith. And I have found that to be a very challenging question personally, but I've also found it to be a really important question. And the aim in asking that question is not to shame or discourage us on the one hand, but it's also not to fill us with pride on the other hand, right? So if you feel like oh, I'm not living up to the covenant commitments I made when I became a member of this church, then that can create shame and can create some, some sense of condemnation, but that's not the intention. And if you feel like you've been doing pretty well in terms of keeping this covenant, you might say, well, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing better than most people in this room and I feel pretty good about myself. That's not the aim here either. The aim instead in asking that question is to reorient ourselves towards what God calls beautiful, what God towards calls good and valuable, and what he's inviting us into when he calls us into membership in the local church. It's also a chance for us to remember that with his help and by his power at work in us, we can pursue the life in community that God has called us to. We can, with his help, pursue the life and community that he's called us to. So today, here's the, the commitment that we're looking at in our church covenant. It reads this way. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. Now, as if you've been here for the past several weeks as we've gone through our our uh, covenant, you've also probably noticed that each line, each commitment is a mouthful. And it's written in language that often we don't necessarily use, right? So if someone says to you, hey, someone finds out, oh, you're a member of a church? Yeah, I'm a member of a church. Oh, so what does that mean? What do you do as a, you belong to a church? What does that mean? You probably wouldn't say, well, as a church, we work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this, and, and in order to sustain the, the ordinances and the discipline and the worship and the doctrines that God has given us. You probably wouldn't, I've never responded that way. It's not language that we're used to. So I think it's helpful for us to just take a moment to break this line down, break this sentence down a little bit. And then, and then, uh, and then we'll get into what the, the scriptures has to say about all this. So let's, let's break down some of these. Let's define terms. I think that's often helpful. I like to define words and see exactly what they mean. Well, it says well, we're going to work together for the continuance, for the ongoing uh, uh, continuance of a, of a faithful evangelical ministry. And some of us hear say that word evangelical, and we might ask, what, is, what does that mean? I hear the word evangelical sometimes, but what exactly does it mean? When you hear evangelical here, think of it in its most literal sense, okay? This word evangelical, it comes from a Greek word. Don't get too bored now, but stick with me. It comes from a Greek word that means gospel. It means good news. So, so when you hear evangelical here, don't think of what some uh, political talk show host might mean when they say the word evangelical. When they use it in phrases like right-wing evangelical or evangelical right or evangelical voters. Don't think just in those terms because what this word here is about is not about a cultural group. It's not about a, a voting block. The word evangelical here describes a church that's committed to the gospel message, that's committed to the good news that Jesus Christ is the savior of humanity. That's what it means here. I know it's used differently in our culture. 
Evangelical ministry here means ministry that is motivated by and centered squarely on the gospel. Not centered on a particular political platform or on certain candidates or a particular political party. It's centered on the message that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of the world. And what we're committing to here is to working together to continue a gospel ministry in this church as we, and here's how we do it, as we sustain its worship, as we sustain its ordinances, discipline, and, and doctrine. The word sustain here simply means to support, right? Think of sustaining as carrying some weight. To sustain something means you're, 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 you're doing some weight bearing, and so what we're saying here is that we will work together to bear the weight of carrying on gospel ministry as we support the worship ordinances, discipline, and doctrines of this church. And worship, I think many of us know what worship means. Worship has to do with the way that we praise God, the way that we honor God. Yes, through singing, but not only through singing. It's the way that we praise and honor God through our words, our, with our minds, with our bodies, with all of our lives, when we're here and when we're not here. That's what worship is, a totality of how we honor and praise the God who made us. And ordinances, this word ordinances, it refers to the two specific practices that God is, that Jesus has given us as a church to, to engage in. One of them we're going to do a little bit later today. It's called communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, which we're going to partake in just later on down in the service. And the other is baptism, two ordinances that God's given us. Boro says we're also going to do some weight bearing in order to support the discipline of this church. This is a tough word, discipline. Church discipline is the process of correcting sin in the life of the church and in the life of church members. Church discipline is the, the church's act of confronting someone's sin and calling them to turn away from that sin and turn back to Jesus. And what we're saying here is that the, the act of doing that for one another is the responsibility of every member of this church. To do that individually as we call those that we know back to Jesus and call them to turn away from their sin, but also as a church when we call individual members who are refusing to turn away from their sin, when as a body we have to call them back. And lastly, we're saying here we're going we're gonna to bear the weight together to support the doctrines of this church. Doctrines just means the, the beliefs and the teachings. We're, we're going to work together to, to protect and, and to communicate the biblical teachings of this church. And we're all responsible for that. I mean, I feel the responsibility of that when I stand here. But do, we, do you feel the responsibility for that as you sit there? The sense that all of us in some way are called to, to defend and protect and, and, and preserve and communicate the doctrines, the, the teachings. Whatever it is that Jesus has taught us, we're called to keep believing and teaching that individually and together corporately as a body. So I, I want to reword this, this long sentence. At the risk of oversimplifying it, this is the way I would really try to shorten it. We will engage in gospel-centered ministry together. We will engage in gospel-centered ministry together. And we're going to do that by serving alongside each other. 
serving in ways that, that focus on the message of the gospel, the, the message that Jesus is Savior of the world. And we're going to do that in, as, as we serve motivated by the gospel too. So this means, this means that there is weight bearing for all of us as members of this church to take on. There, there, there's responsibility here for all of us to engage in serving that's motivated by and shaped by the gospel. In other words, because Jesus is Lord and because Jesus is Savior of the world, we're going to all worship him. We're not going to just expect the people up here to worship him while we observe them worshiping him, but we all are going to worship as we just did a few moments ago. Through our singing, through our praying, through our, through our listening as well. That those are all acts of worship together. And, and we're also committing here to participate as a, as a church in the ordinances that God has given us. So we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together. We're going to come up and we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup and we're going to take them together. And we're also saying here we're going to support and, 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 and together engage in the ordinance of baptism. That means that when one person gets baptized, we all show up to celebrate with them and to witness with them and to affirm their salvation with them. Because Jesus is Savior and he's, and he's Lord of the world. And it's because he's Savior of the world and because he's Lord of the world that we will also call one another to repent and come back to Jesus when we're straying, when, when we're, we're falling away. And we're beginning to, to wander and reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. If we really believe that he's Lord and Savior, we're going to call each other back to him. And because he's Lord and Savior of the world, we're going to keep believing and teaching what he has taught us. We're going to hold on to that doctrine. Whatever we believe that he's told us, we're going to hold on to it and we're going to pass it on. We are going to carry out gospel-centered ministry. This is the commitment that we're making here. And of course, we're going to do it in different ways, depending on where we are in life and where we are in our journey spiritually and just what season of life that we might be in and what our role in the church is. It's going to look different. There's going to be lots of differences in the way that we do all that, but there's also going to be a lot of overlap in the ways that we do it. What the covenant is describing here for us could be called ever, every, excuse me, every member ministry. Every member ministry. In other words, every member in the church is a minister of the gospel. When I, when I fill out forms and I have to put my occupation down, I usually put down minister. I could put, I could put down like pastor. I usually choose minister for, for some reason. And I was reflecting on this, like, why do I usually write that? I think part of the reason I write it is because I like the fact that it reminds me that my job essentially is not to be a teacher or a leader. My job is to be a servant. That's what minister means. That's what ministry means. Ministry means service. And I find it particularly helpful to remind myself, oh, your full-time occupation, your vocation in this world is to be a servant. Now, I would say that all of us, all of us are called to be ministers, servants within the church, motivated by the gospel. Every one of us is called in some way to carry the weight of the church's ministry in worship and discipline and teaching and all of that. The, like I said before, the worship team is not the, they're not the only group of worshipers in this place on Sundays, right? We know that. 
We know that. But, but sometimes we might watch them as if they are the worshipers and we're the spectators. No, we don't, we're being reminded by our church covenant that that's not what we're called here to do. And elders are not the only teachers in the church. We know that, right? In fact, Sunday school teachers are not the only teachers in the church, although they are valued teachers in our church. We're all called in some ways to be engaged in holding on to and teaching the teachings of Jesus in different contexts. It might be in our care groups, in our discipleship groups. It may be around the dinner table in our family time. It might be in our individual conversations with one another. But we're all called to every member ministry. I, um, I happen to, uh, like many of you, I suspect, I am a member of Sam's Club. Any, any members of Sam's Club here? Others? Yeah, it's just Silvana. I've seen you there, Silvana. We were talking about this the other day. She only, the rest of you probably belong to Costco. All right. I feel sorry for you. It's all right. We, we, maybe one day you'll find your way. But we, being a member of, of Sam's Club means that I get to go there and be a paying customer. I pay my dues monthly, and I can go there and give them more money every time I need to buy tons of food. I've never shown up at Sam's Club to stock shelves or to replenish their produce section. I have never collected carts at Sam's Club. In fact, I feel like if I return my cart to the designated area, I've done them a favor. It's not my job, but I do it anyway. And when I'm not there, I never think about Sam's Club. It never comes to mind. Like, I wonder how Sam's Club is doing. <laughs> like, that cashier was, she was so, I wonder how she's doing. I should reach out. To, I should. And they don't seem to care. <laughs> they don't seem to care. They seem to be happy as long as I pay my dues and, I, and everything in my cart when I'm leaving shows up on that receipt that they check carefully. They let me consume their products as long as I pay. And I have at times, there have been times when I've expressed my thoughts and opinions to employees there, but it's always been from the perspective of a customer. Because that's all I am. I'm a consumer at Sam's Club. There is a, uh, there, many of you know, there's a movie theater in Pleasantville called the Jacob Burns Film Center. You know this place? I, it's, it's, it's a great little movie theater that shows wonderful movies often. Um, you can become a member there, and if you become a member there, then you get a discount on your tickets, and you get, I think there's some other benefits. I don't know. Frankly, I'm too cheap to become a member there. But essentially, you, you're paying for the, for, for the, for the privilege of uh, being a preferred customer, in a sense, right? You get to watch great movies. And that's it. You, you're paying to be a spectator, in other words. I think you, you get where I'm going with this. I know these are dumb analogies, but I mention them just to highlight, and this is my goal, just to highlight how categorically different New Hope Fellowship is and how categorically different God's church is. And I mention all that to highlight the degree to which so many of you are actively, consistently, sacrificially serving together to carry out gospel-centered ministry in this church. And it's remarkable. It's unique. Where else are you walking membership out that way? And I mention all that as an excuse to be able to thank you for the ways that you serve this church. And I know that a lot of that serving doesn't happen where we can see it. Much of it goes on unseen, 
And it certainly doesn't all happen on a, on a Sunday afternoon. It happens all at different times during the week and the year. But, but when, when you come in here on a Sunday, you can't help but see so much of it. The worship team setting up, the worship team rehearsing, practicing, praying. Our Sunday school teachers setting up their classrooms and praying and preparing to teach our kids. The welcome team receiving people gladly into this gathering. Deacons preparing communion, serving communion. Deacons and other people cleaning up after we're done using the space. The communications team. And then the, the vast number of other ways that many of you are just encouraging one another or reminding one another of the gospel. So much of it goes unseen and so much of it, we, 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 we catch glimpses of it. Let's be encouraged by that. Let's not lose sight of how remarkable that is. When discipleship group leaders and care group leaders host and facilitate discussions and lead studies and they do teaching and they're encouraging, let's not assume that all that is normal. It's not normal. It's actually quite supernatural. It's something that's unique to the church of Jesus Christ. And it's not just leaders doing all that stuff, of course. It's, it's ever, every member ministry, every member ministry that we see. And so, and so on the one hand, I want us to be super grateful for that and just recognize how remarkable it is that that's going on at New Hope to the degree that it is happening here. But I also want us to realize that, wow, we're asking quite a lot of people to be a member of a local church, aren't we? This is a big ask. So why? Why would anyone accept this invitation to work in this way to serve the church. Why, why do we do this? And how do we do this? Those are the two questions that I want to answer today. Why do we do that? Serve in this way? And how do we do it? And the way for us to figure answers out to those questions is to go to the Bible. So let's go to the Bible. And let's open. I encourage you to open to Ephesians chapter 4, the passage that Sarah just read to us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, and Jesus, the he there is Jesus, by the way. It's Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You see that? The, to equip there means to, to prepare, to, 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 perfect, to complete literally, to perfect the saints for the work of ministry. The saints here is a reference to people. It's, it's a reference to anyone who is trusted in Jesus Christ and believes Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior. Saints are people who have been chosen and they've been forgiven by Jesus and they've been set apart by Jesus for his purposes. And I know that because way back in Ephesians chapter 1, when the Apostle Paul starts this letter that we're jumping, we're jumping into the middle of it. But if we go back to verse 1, we find that Paul is writing verse 1, chapter 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And he's not talking to some special subset of the church. He's talking to the whole church. And he's saying, guess what? If you live in Ephesus and you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a saint in Ephesus. You've been chosen by God and set apart for his purposes by him. So what we read here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, is that Jesus gave teachers 
messengers, leaders to his church for the purpose of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. That means that whoever's commissioned to teach or preach in the church, and that includes elders, each one of us is tasked with equipping the church for the work of ministry. That means that if our sermons on Sunday or if our discipleship group studies or our care group discussions aren't equipping people to serve others, then something's really wrong. Because God's design is for those who are teaching in the church to equip the church to do, to bear the weight together of actual ministry. That weight is not meant to be exclusively on the elders, the deacons, ministry leaders, staff, etc. And here and here's why God has designed things in this way. Here here's the goal that we're aiming for as we engage in every member ministry. The goal is the building up of the body of Christ. Look at what it says there in verse 12. The goal is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Until, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. That's a, that's a long section that I just read, and there, there's some, some repetition and rephrasing that goes on in there, but if I could summarize the purpose, if I could summarize that whole section in one word, it would be the word growth. Growth. What is the purpose for which we engage in every member ministry? The goal is growth. Uh, growth in strength, growth in health, Ultimately, growth into the image of Jesus. So, we serve one another for the purpose of building up and becoming more like Jesus. Think about what was Jesus like? How would you describe him if you had to just now? If you had to write down a few characteristics that come to mind as you think of, of Jesus, what is Jesus like? I'll suggest to you a few things that I've noticed about Jesus. One, Jesus was committed to truth. He knew the truth and he spoke the truth and he trusted the truth. He believed his father. When his father told him something was true, he believed his father. He trusted his father's words. Here's another thing I've noticed about Jesus. He was a humble servant. Would you agree? He served. In fact, Philippians tells us that although he is equal with God, he took the form of a servant. We read in the Gospel of John that he washed his disciples' feet. Even the disciples who were not really deep down his disciples. 
So we are being like him when we serve. Isn't that interesting? We are being like him when we serve. And we are being like him when we trust God's word. What else would you say about Jesus? What was he like? I think if, 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 you, had, if you felt bold enough to just yell out an answer, I feel like a bunch of you would might yell out the word love, that he was marked by love, as Jesus loves. He loves the Father, and he loves people. And so as we think about what it means to grow into the likeness of Jesus, to grow into becoming more like him, it means we're going to grow in trust to God and his word. We're going to grow in humility, willingness to serve. We're going to grow in love. And we're also going to grow in holiness. We're going to grow in holiness. In fact, if we had time and we were to read the very next section under where we just read, if we were starting verse 17 of Ephesians 4, we don't have time to look at it, but if you read that whole section going down from there, you'll find out that it's all about a call to forsake sin and obey God. To, to live a holy life. So I wonder if you might add other things to this list, but I would say at least this. Growing into the stature of the fullness of Christ involves growing in trust and humility and love and holiness. If I thought of it early, I'd probably put joy in there too because I think Jesus was the happiest man who ever lived. And I think that when we serve one another, we actually grow in joy. Isn't that interesting? That, have you ever experienced this? Then to the degree that, God is, that you have opportunity to serve others for extended periods of time, no matter how hard it is, do you find that the long-term effect is that you actually grow in joy? Isn't that interesting? And perhaps you've noticed that in serving others, you've also grown to trust God more, to be more humble. One mark of immaturity is an unwillingness to humbly serve others, isn't it? And grow in love and grow in holiness. So that's what it looks like, I think, at least in part, to, to grow into the image of Jesus, to become more like Jesus. So the goal of gospel-centered ministry is for people, us, to come to know Jesus and to become more like him. And that's not just at an individual level, because we might think of that individually. Let's think about it individually, but let's also think about corporately. This group, this family, this, this church becomes as a whole. We grow more into looking more like what Jesus looks like as we serve one another with the gospel and motivated by the gospel. And the only way for that to happen, the only way for us to grow into the image of Jesus, is it really is for us to engage in ministry together. It's the only way. The only way for us to grow into the image of Jesus is for us to serve each other and to serve alongside one another. There's no other way. It's right there in verse 15. If you look at the second half of verse 15 in Ephesians 4, it says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together... By every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up into love. So what is the only way that this body will grow up to look more like Jesus? It's when every part is working properly. <laughs> serving one another and serving alongside one another. All right? So that's why 
we give ourselves to this big ask. It's why we commit ourselves to work together for the furtherance of this ministry. It's for the purpose of growing up into the image of Jesus. But how do we do it? And we'll get through this much more quickly. How do we do it? How do we work together toward this end? How do we serve together and serve one another? There are many ways, but I want you to see what this passage highlights. What is this? Look in verse 14. In verse 14, this passage highlights the centrality of communicating God's words to one another. Look at verse 14. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's referring to lies, by the way. We're saying so that we will not be taken up, like drawn away and, and, and confused and deceived by lies. The lies that the world tells us, the lies that we tell ourselves and the lies that our enemy, the devil, tells us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. In order to, to prevent falling away and getting led astray by those lies, what? Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So the key aspect of what it means to serve one another and serve together so that we can grow up into the head. Who is Christ here highlighted? It's speaking truth in love. Speaking truth. And I would submit to you that the truth that's being spoken of here in verse 15 is the truth of the gospel. It's not just any truth. It's the truth of the gospel. It's that message that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he is Lord. And all that that means, and all the implications of that, it's by speaking that message to one another that we grow into the image, and we become more like the fullness of who Jesus is. It's how we reach maturity as a church. It's by speaking the truth of that gospel to one another. And the reason I'm convinced that that's the truth that the Apostle Paul is talking about is because earlier in this same letter, just a few paragraphs earlier, in verse 13 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What is the word of truth? It's the gospel of your salvation. And you believed in him and you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The, God, the truth is the gospel of your salvation. Now, I, I point it out just because I want us to see that the truth that's being spoken up here is a very specific truth. Because some of us, we, I wonder if some of us pride ourselves in being truth tellers. We're like, I speak it like it is. I tell people the truth. That's not the way to grow a church. It's just by speaking indiscriminately the truth to one another. It's by speaking the gospel truth to one another that we actually grow. All right? If one of you says to me, you know, buddy, you are clearly putting on some weight during this uh, holiday season, you would be speaking the truth, but it would not build me up at all. I don't think it would build up this community. I think it would be unhelpful. Maybe it would be helpful, but it would bother me. It would bother me at least. Or if you were to say, you know, today's sermon, really, yeah, nah, not so great. Okay, you're welcome to say those things. That's fine. And you may be truth-telling when you do it. But the point is that the kind of truth that builds up the body is not just speaking the God's honest truth to one another and shooting straight. No, it's communicating the promises of the gospel and the implications of the gospel for our lives. So when we gather as a church, we open with a call to worship. Someone stands up here and reads God's word 
to the congregation. Why? We're speaking the truth in love. And then someone else comes and leads us, and the whole team comes up here and leads us in singing to one another and to the Lord. Why? So that we can sing the truth in love. And then someone else prays on behalf of us, becomes a mouthpiece for the whole congregation. We, we speak to the Lord, and our effort every time we do that is to speak the truth in love. And then someone gets up here and preaches, and the goal is the same. And then, and then someone will send us out of here. Usually it's me. We send us out of here with a word from God. And what is that again? Speaking the truth in love. And we engage in those repetitive, <laughs> mundane, in a sense, rhythms because our belief is that speaking the truth in love is going to build this body up into the image of Jesus. But speaking the truth in love takes other forms too, doesn't it? Like less formal forms. When you speak a word of encouragement to your brother or sister or to a guest or someone you love, when you, when you pray together and intercede for one another, when, when you share private words, maybe it's during the break or maybe it's after the service or it's outside in the parking lot, wherever it, you speak words that communicate understanding and care and you offer hope in Jesus, you're engaging in every member ministry. When you offer words of comfort, and even, even when you offer words of admonition, like, like words of warning, like I'm worried about you, brother. I'm worried about where you're headed. And I want to urge you back towards faith in Jesus. Away from this destructive pattern in your life, you're speaking the truth and love. And that's, of course, none of that, it's not limited to Sundays. It's not even just limited to church gatherings. It can happen in our homes. It can happen over coffee. It can happen in many places. And it's not even just through communicating the word of truth that we engage in this kind of ministry. We can do it through deed ministry too, through the, the actions that we take, right? That are motivated by the gospel. So, so sometimes, perhaps, driven by the gospel, driven by the reality that Jesus is Lord, someone has served you in some very practical way. That's gospel ministry. I'll give you some examples of what I've seen, and, and you could probably come up with more examples of what it looks like to engage in this kind of gospel-centered ministry towards one another and with one another. One way is just by showing up and listening to one another and crying with one another in moments of grief, being present with one another, as we talked about a few weeks ago, to listen, to offer hope. Maybe showing up with some help or some food and encouraging with the gospel. That's word and deed ministry right there. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the, the sisters in our church is providing, I don't, I'm, the only reason I'm not naming her is because I don't want to, I don't want to, because I didn't ask her if I could say this, and I don't want to embarrass her or anything like that. But one of the sisters in our church is providing child care for um, a care group so that the young family, the parents in that care group can get together and, and, and discuss and, and talk about their marriages and learn together while their kids are being instructed and cared for in a separate part of the house. And it's not just one of our sisters. One of our sisters, one of some of the young people in our church, too, are engaging and helping in that way. And I thought, man, that's like, 
It's word and deed ministry, isn't that? It's, it's they're, they're providing relief from these, for these families so the families can engage in learning together, but they're also teaching gospel truth to these kids while they do it. How have you seen it happen? Maybe it's through exercising hospitality. Every time we sing with one another, we're doing it. Every time, every time you show up for a care group meeting or you show up for a discipleship group gathering, ready not only to receive but to, to, to give, you're engaging in every member ministry. When you text someone or you call someone to find out how they're doing or just to encourage them with God's word, for instance, when you read a book with someone because you think it might be helpful to both of you, there's some of the organic ways it happens. And of course, it happens in formal ways too. When someone joins the welcoming team, they're engaging in every member ministry. Or when someone uh, is willing to become a safety, we just recently added, we used to, we've had safety monitors in the atrium back there. We just recently added some safety monitors to the back of the, the room here to try and help provide a, a welcoming but also safe environment for our worship gatherings. When you volunteer to do something like that, you're engaging every member ministry. It probably goes unnoticed, but it's real and God sees it. When you join the children's ministry as a as an assistant or as a teacher, when you join the communications ministry and you help truth get transmitted, whether it's here or online, you're living out the spirit of this covenant. When you join the, the building ministry and you, and you help organize and, and clean up after this church is done worshiping here, Jesus is honored by that. It honors him. I, um, I sit in meetings often, and like today, I sat in a care group leaders meeting this morning, a meeting of all of care group leaders. And a few weeks ago, I was, these two meetings come to mind, a few weeks ago, I sat in a, a missions and outreach team meeting, and other meetings of leaders and servants throughout the church. And I find that often my biggest takeaway when I leave these meetings is not, It's nothing other than we are building up the church. We're building each other up in these gatherings. And Jesus is building up the church through our flawed, stumbling efforts. And it's glorious. It's glorious. So the goal as we serve in every member ministry, the goal is not ultimately efficiency, or an increased profit margin, or numerical growth even, or impressive production value. Those are values for other kinds of institutions. But for the church, those are not our gospel values. And we are about gospel ministry. We are motivated and centered on the message that Jesus is Lord. So it doesn't mean that efficiency is a bad thing or numerical growth is a bad thing. Oh, those things are fine. But it means that we can be countercultural in the way that we build this church. We don't have to be caught up with perfectionism and workaholism. No. Some of you, I wonder if you work in areas where perfectionism is a struggle or where workaholism is a temptation that, that we're, we're, we're called to set that aside when we become, when we're serving as a church. It means that we can serve in a way that 
that values excellence but also shows a great deal of patience with one another. A willingness to serve even when we don't get credit or even if someone else gets credit. And it means that we can serve in a context where we can honor one another and thank one another for their service rather than compete with one another as is so often the case in other places. So as I, as I end today, I just want to thank you, all of you who are serving in seen and unseen ways. And I want to encourage you that what you're doing is not in vain. God sees it, and, and it is his design for growth. So, so don't get discouraged. You will grow and are growing, and the church will grow. The whole body will as you continue to serve. And I want to end with these questions for you to ask as we leave this place, for each of us to ask. These are questions to ask ourselves and questions for us to ask God. So I'm saying, ask these prayerfully. Prayerfully. How am I serving the church? How am I serving the church? And again, because of everything we've said today, and I've said a lot, think, don't think narrowly, think broadly. Like, what are the different ways in which I'm serving the church? It's not just in formal ways, like on a ministry team, but it's through personal relationships, even in your own family. It may be that one of the ways that you're serving the body of Christ right now is by caring for an ailing family member. Or it's by seeking to love your kids. Or it's by working on your marriage. How are you serving the church? And then secondly, how is God calling me to serve the church? How is he calling me to serve the church? And I know that that's a subjective question. It can be hard to, to answer it sometimes. So I want to give you some factors to consider. As you, are, as you live as part of this church, where do you see needs? Needs. And I want to encourage you, that if you see a need, would you please consider filling that need? We often announce needs. We've been announcing needs for our communication team, for the welcoming team, for children's ministry, etc. And there are other needs that exist. So as you notice them and hear about them, consider prayerfully filling those needs. But also think personally in terms of relationships. Are there other needs that you see? And secondly, I would ask you to think about your gifting. What are you gifted in? What are you gifting in? But don't limit yourselves to those things that you feel gifted in. Just because you don't feel particularly talented at something doesn't mean that God's not calling you to do it. And just because you don't feel naturally talented at something doesn't mean that God cannot supernaturally equip you to actually do the thing that you don't feel so talented at. And last, I would ask you to think about opportunity. Who's God bringing into your life? What new opportunities are opening up for you in this particular season of life? As we, as, we, as we get older and our families change and grow and our jobs change, haven't you found that your bandwidth to be able to serve has changed at different times? Depending on the season of life you're in. It may very well be that, that at some points in your life, you may be called to focus ministry in a very narrow way. Um, let's say your parent would just had little kids, right? Or you just got married. Or there are other special needs that you're facing, whether it's illness or, or disability or whatever it is in your family. You may find that you need to focus on ministry in those areas for a season. Or maybe you need to be ministered to strongly during that season. So it's going to look different. And there are other times where there's going to be more opportunity. You're going to have more bandwidth. You're going to have more time. Consider the opportunities in the season of life you're in. Don't wait for everything to grow perfect before you take a step of faith to serve in some area because that time will never come. But simply know that the way and the parts that the the ways that the parts of the church work together will change 
over time. All of these, all of these uh, factors are very important, I think, but none of them can be the only factor. We can't only serve in areas where we feel really gifted or only serve in areas where we, we're really eager to. So I'd ask you to prayerfully consider what is God calling you to? And the last question I would ask you to bring before the Lord in prayer is, what's my next step? What's my next step? Do I need to pray more? Do I need to move forward and commit myself to some ministry? Do I need to talk to a ministry team leader and find out what the needs are there and find out if I can serve in some way? I would suggest to you as a next step for all of us, here's a simple next step. Come to the whatever next gathering of the church that you attend, whether it's this gathering or it's a care group or it's a discipleship group, show up asking, how can I be used by the Lord? To build up what God is building here. How can I serve? Not just what am I getting out of this, but how can I serve? And I say that realizing that there are times in our lives where we show up to a church gathering and we feel like we don't have much to give. We feel depleted. And in those times, perhaps we just need others to serve us. And that's okay. But over time, what's the pattern? Are you willing to walk into the gatherings of the church into interactions with other brothers and sisters, thinking, what can I contribute? What can I give in order to help foster their growth and our growth together into the image of Christ? So this is God's design for the church, New Hope. This church and every church of Christ is a, is a unique organism. It's this unique organism that grows as each part and each member serves and ministers to the other. And, and, and each part grows healthier as it serves others. So I'm encouraging us to embrace that identity. This morning in, a, in our care group leaders meeting, Alex Lee was praying and he, and he, and he, and he asked the Lord to, to make our church a greenhouse for spiritual growth. And that the, the image caught my imagination that we would be a greenhouse for that organism of the church to flourish. May every gathering of this body, may every interaction that we engage in be a greenhouse for the kind of growth that the Apostle Paul is describing in Ephesians 4. We are seeing numerical growth to some degree as a church, and praise the Lord for that. But this kind of numerical growth will only be healthy and sustainable when each part is working properly and we bear the weight together. So let's do that and let's pray. Our Father, we trust you and we trust that your design for the local church is better than other, uh, whatever concepts we can come up with. And so we ask you to help us to walk in the light of what you have told us life in the local body should look like. Give us the strength. Give us the discernment we need. Give us patience with one another and with ourselves. Help us to show grace and care for one another as we discern how to best work properly as a part of this beautiful organism that you have created. In Jesus' name. Amen.